have your Bible this morning, we're turning to the book of Revelation, and Revelation chapter 5 please, the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation and chapter 5, and whenever you find your place just leave your Bible open there uh, for a moment uh, this morning. The book of Revelation is the book that has the threefold blessing upon it. This last book of your Bible is not a revelation of end times. It contains the end times. It's not a revelation about Christ. It's not a revelation about the revived Roman Empire. It's not a revelation about the battle of Armageddon or even of the new heaven and the new earth that contains those things. This book of Revelation is a revelation of a person. In chapter 1 and verse 1 it says it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, my dear men and women, this morning that there's nothing that we need more in these last dark closing days of time than a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ. It's said of young Samuel whenever he was in the tabernacle down in Shiloh that the Lord appeared again unto Samuel in Shiloh and revealed himself by the word of the Lord. Paul himself, the great apostle, could say that the Lord Jesus Christ revealed himself first of all to me, and then he revealed himself in me. And so as we come to this last book of the Bible, this wonderful revelation, we need to have that on our mind this morning, that we have come to see again a fresh revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember how the book starts whenever John was on the Isle of Patmos. He was there for the Word of God and for his testimony in Jesus Christ. He was relegated from society, and there on the Isle of Patmos he could say, and I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I wonder this morning as we've gathered into this house, I wonder, is that what you and I can say? That on this, the first day of the week, that I find myself among the people of God in the Spirit. John said that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And the first thing that happened, John, after he was in the Spirit and after he realized that he was in the Spirit, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, he said, I heard a voice. And you know, my dear people, this morning, isn't that one of the reasons why so many of us come Sunday morning after Sunday morning? We read our Bible, we hear the sermon, we sing the hymns, we meet other believers, but we go away unchanged and unchallenged because we have failed to hear another's voice. Well, John heard the voice. He said it was a voice unlike any other voice. It was the voice as a sound of many waters. And as John, I want you to picture just for a moment as John is on the Isle of Patmos. And my, he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day and he hears this tremendous voice. 
he turns to hear the voice that spake with him. And in Revelation chapter 1, you don't need to turn to it this morning, but read it later on. He turns and he sees the risen, exalted, glorified Christ. He sees him standing and walking in the midst of the seven candlesticks. He sees in his hand the seven stars. He said his eyes were as a flame of fire. His hair and his head were as white as snow. He went on to say how he was girded about the paps with a golden girdle. His was like fine brass that had been burned in the furnace. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And John the Apostle, the one that walked with the Lord Jesus, the one that talked with him for those three and a half years, whenever he saw him now, the risen, glorified Savior, the Bible says, and John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he goes on and he says, then he put his hand upon me. He said, fear not. For I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am He which was dead and am alive and will live forevermore. The living Christ. Whenever you come into chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the Revelation, it is all about the evaluation of Jesus Christ upon His people. He lifts out the seven churches of Asia. And you know the wonderful thing about it, I've been thinking about it during the week, is this. He had something good to say about every one of them. And he lifts five churches out of this heaven and he brings them as it were to the side and he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. And I wonder this morning as we have come into this house this morning and gathered with the people of God, I know that the Lord Jesus would have to say something good about every one of his children here this morning. But I wonder would he have to lift some of us or indeed all of us to the side and say, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. In Revelation chapter 4, it's a wonderful evacuation. John said, I saw a door opened in heaven. And that's a wonderful picture of the snatching away of the church. And then, of course, there'll be the examination where we will go as the children of God before the bema. Some of us will suffer loss. Some of us, all our time and all of our gifting and all of our life, we invested in wood, hay, and stubble. And on that day when the Lord Jesus Christ examines our service and our life for Him, my, the Apostle Paul said, there will be those that will be saved but as by fire. And then, of course, there's the presentation. There's the rewards. There's the gold and the silver and the precious stones. There's the five crowns that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Now I want you to see just for a moment in Revelation chapter 4 and cast your eye to verse 10. It says in the four and twenty elders, a picture of the whole redeemed of the Old Testament and indeed the new. They fell down before him that sat on the throne. Now who's on the throne? I just want you to think about this for a little moment this morning. Who's on the throne? Well, if you cast your eye back to chapter 4 and look there just for a little moment, and you'll see in verse 3, and he that sat upon it was to look upon like a jasper 
and a sardine stone. And if you know anything about the high priest, whenever the high priest was going into the Holy of Holies, he had a breastplate on. There was 12 stones there. The very first stone was the jasper stone. The last stone in the row of the breastplate was there the sardine stone. And you know what John is saying? He said, whenever heaven was opened and whenever I was caught up, whenever I went through the door of heaven, the first thing I saw was not the golden street. The first thing that I saw was not the sea of glass that he mentions in chapter 4, or the thunder, or the lightning, or the 24 elders, or he never seen, first of all, even these four living creatures. He said, the first thing that I saw was a throne. And he said, the one that was upon the throne was like a jasper and like the sardine stone. You know what John was saying? He said, the one that was on the throne and is in on the throne this morning, he is the first and he is the last. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He's on the throne this morning. And here John, cast right a verse 10 just for a moment. My, whenever he sees the throne and he sees the elders and he sees the glory, he says in verse 10, And the four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne, and listen to this, they worshipped him that liveth forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne. And they were saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure are and were created. And here's John now, he gets his vision on the throne. He gets his eyes upon the one on the throne. And that's where we're going to start this morning. Chapter 5 and verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven and earth, neither under the earth, was able, mark that little word, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open the book and to read the book neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, that should be the four living ones, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living ones and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on or over the earth. 
Now I want you just to see this this morning. Because if you're saved, you're going to be here. And John is taken up now away from Patmos. Patmos is far behind him, and he's caught up into heaven. And as he goes through the door of heaven, he sees the throne. He sees the one upon the throne, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I tell you, my dear people, would to God that every one of us here this morning would get our eyes on the throne. And maybe there's believers here this morning and maybe you've got your eyes all week on the trouble. Uh, maybe it's trouble in your family and trouble in your health, trouble in your mind. Get your eyes this morning on the throne. And maybe there's some here this morning and you've got your eyes on the trials. And my, they seem to be relentless. There was a man saying to me at the door this morning before the meeting, he said, Stephen, when's it going to end? And then there's maybe someone here and you've got your eye on the tyrant and the enemy has come, the accuser of the brethren. And my, you've got your eyes on so many things. Well, that's what John did. John, whenever he got into heaven, he got his eyes on the throne. And then he started to look around. He saw the elders. He saw the living creatures. He saw the sea of glass. He saw the emerald rainbow. But in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1, you know what he does? He gets his eyes back on the throne. Look at verse 1. It says, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book. It was a book that was written on the inside and on the outside, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now, this is a scroll. It's not a book like we have before us this morning. It's a scroll. And this scroll, I can tell you, is very important, and we're going to have to work out what it is. Because whenever John saw the scroll in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, he heard a, a strong angel, the word is a mighty angel, said, Who is worthy to take the scroll and open the seals thereof? And John said, There was no man found able, never mind even worthy. You see this scroll here. I tell you, it almost seems to me that this scroll had almost ran out of parchment for all of the information that is contained in it. They never wrote on the inside and then on the outside of a scroll. They always just wrote on one side. But this scroll here is penned on the inside and it's penned on the outside. Whenever they found the Dead Sea Scrolls of the book of Isaiah, just one book, I said in a museum this morning in Jerusalem, that scroll, just the prophecy of Isaiah, is 24 feet long. And I've done a little bit of calculation during the week that if you were to write the Bible that you have before you this morning on a scroll from Genesis to Revelation, it will be a scroll 528 feet long. And you see this scroll, it's in the right hand of him, the Alpha and the Omega on the throne of heaven, the eternal God, the throne of glory, the throne of grace, the throne of judgment. My, the one that has a scroll in his hand. My mind went during the week to the last verse of John's Gospel. You remember whenever John himself was penning the, his gospel, he said, he, he said, my, the Lord Jesus did so many things that he said, I suppose if they had been written, the world would not contain the books. 
They were running out of books here. They were running out of ground to write the information, as it were, that was in the scroll. Take the love of God, for instance, this morning. Wasn't it that man that has an immense institution in America, he was a Jew that got saved, and before he was released from the institution, he got a nail and scribed it upon the plaster of his wall. My, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. He, he said, my, if every man on earth is scribe and every stalk a, a quill, my, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole. Those spread from sky to sky. I tell you, this scroll that's in the hand of the Almighty here this morning that we're reading about, it's a scroll to the title deeds of heaven and earth. It's not just a scroll that, as we read about in the program, the prophetic program and the rest of the book of Revelation. No, no. This is a title deeds to heaven and earth. Now, just hold on this morning. Whenever the Romans were light writing a parchment, whenever the soul ground, you know what they did? It was only the Romans did it. They wrote on the inside and on the outside. It was a legal document. And then what they would do when they got the scroll, they would get seven strings and they would seal it. Seven strings right round the scroll. And then they would put the imperial stamp upon it, the mark of authority. This is a title deeds now. Who's worthy to take this scroll? Who's worthy, the strong, the mighty angel said, through heaven, through all of the cosmos? Who's worthy? Who's worthy? He said that he checked in heaven. At this moment, all of the churches in heaven. The Apostle Paul, at this time in Revelation chapter 5, is in heaven. But the Apostle Paul, mighty though he was, is not worthy to take this book. All of the great men and women down through the centuries of time, take all of the great saints and take all of the great evangelists, take Moses and Abraham, take Daniel and David, take Elijah and Elisha. Oh, take them all this morning. And the angel goes through every area of heaven and he says, who is worthy to, to take the book? Who's worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals thereof? You see, the one that took the scroll. He had to be willing. He had to be able. He had to have the authority to execute what was in it. There's nobody found worthy yet. And then the angel goes through those on earth. Who's worthy? Who's worthy? My in Revelation chapter 5, whenever the church is in heaven, the Antichrist will be on the earth at this time. I tell you, but he's not worthy. He's not able to take this scroll. The false prophet will be on earth, but he's not worthy. He's not able. The Bible talks about the kings of the earth, the rich men, the mighty men, every bondman, every free man. But the angel goes through heaven. He couldn't find a man. He goes down onto the earth. He can't find a man. There's no man found worthy. And then he goes down as it seems to be under the earth. He goes down to all the past rulers of the world, the Neros, the Hitlers, the Mussolinis. He goes down into all the wicked rulers, the Alexanders and Napoleons. 
all of the men that sought to take dominion of the world. And he says, who's worthy? Who's worthy to take the scroll out of the right hand of him that sitteth upon the throne? And the Bible says, verse 3, look at it, no man was found worthy. That's very significant. Because I can tell you it had to be a man that would open the scroll. Because whenever God made Adam the first man, he made him of the dust of the ground. And after he made him of the dust of the ground, he made him in his own image. And then he gave him dominion over everything that he made. And Adam was the federal head. He had dominion over God's creation. But Adam forfeited his dominion through sin. My, the devil came and through subtlety he beguiled Adam. And Adam lost the dominion. And so it had to be a man that would redeem it back. A king's man redeemer. I tell you, my dear people, this morning, thank God there's a king's man redeemer. There's one that is worthy. A king's man had to be someone that was able. A king's man had to be someone that was related. He had to be someone that was able to pay the price of redemption. He had to be someone that was free from debt himself. And I'm sure you're starting to get a picture in your mind this morning of who the wonderful King's Man Redeemer is. My, he's related to us. He's free from sin. I tell you, he's able and willing to redeem. He's the qualifications of a Redeemer. Now look at verse 4. And I wept much. I think there's a little period in here between verse 3 and verse 4. I think the angels went through heaven. I think the angels went through earth. I think the angel even has went under the earth and he sought for a man and he's brought all the men from Adam to the end of time. And he says there's none of them that are found worthy, never mind able to take the scroll. And I think there's a silence in heaven. I think all of heaven stopped. I think there's a silence that can be felt. So important is this scroll, if no one is found worthy to open it, I'll tell you there'll not be one of you ever get into heaven. And John started to weep. The Bible says, and the Greek word is, he wept again and again and again. John was weeping because he knew that souls were in the balance. He knew that God's plan was weighed in the balance if there wasn't a man that is found worthy and able, one that is able to redeem, one that is able to take the scroll and to loose the seals and to execute it with precision. And I think John started to weep in heaven when he thought of all of mankind. My, those that have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. But if he couldn't find a redeemer, if he couldn't find one that was willing to open and able to open the book, I can tell you, my dear people, not one of us would ever get into heaven. You can see the importance of this. He says, I wept much. Now just let me ask you a wee question this morning. Is there someone here, and in the last week you've been weeping much? I know there's a mother here this morning, and I'm not going to mention her name, but every time that I be talking to her about her family, she almost weeps before me. She weeps much. 
I know there's maybe a man here this morning, and I know him very well, and whenever he mentions his family, the tears come out of his eyes. He weeps much. What do you weep about? Weep about your job? Have you been weeping about your health? You've been weeping about your future? Well, here's John in heaven now weeping. And as he's weeping, oh, I tell you, he's, he, he's wondering who's going to be able to do this. Who's going to be the one that is able to approach the throne of the Alpha and the Omega, the throne that has the emerald rainbow around it, the throne that has the four living creatures before it, the throne that is proceeding from it, lightnings and thunder. Who's going to approach this throne? And as John is standing in heaven, sobbing, convulsing with the tears coming out of his eyes, verse 5, look at it. And one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Now maybe that's just a word for someone here this morning. Maybe that's a word just for a mother here or a father or a young person here this morning and you've wept much over the last number of days and months and no one even knows anything about it. Well, here was an elder, one of the redeemed in heaven. He came and he says, stop weeping. There's no need to weep anymore. He said, behold, behold. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book or the scroll and to loose the seven seals are off. This is the only time in the Bible where the Lord Jesus is directly referred to as a lion. The lion is an animal of power. The lion is the king of the jungle. The lion is marked by ferocity and authority and majesty. My, if you were out in Parkinor and you heard the roar of a lion, you'd you wouldn't be long getting into your car. If there was a lion come into this church this morning, there wouldn't be any of us go up and tickle it or play games with it. There's something of a ferocity. And he, this elder said, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's called the root of David because he was there long before David. He not only was David's greater son, but he was David's lord. And he's the root, the root of David. I tell you here, John starts to stop crying now. He maybe dries his tears as the elder starts to talk to him and says, John, don't weep now. There's someone that has prevailed. The word is conquered. The one is victorious. There's someone that is triumphant. There's one who is found worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals. John, there's someone can do it. Only one now. And I think John starts to, to wipe away the tears. And I think he turns around in anticipation as the elder talked to him about the lion and the tribe of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And he turns, he turns, my, to look at the lion. He's looking for this animal of power. He's looking for the mane and the teeth and the claws and the roar. And he says, behold... Verse 6, Behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne, 
And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. What a contrast. I tell you, my dear people, whenever the Lord Jesus came to this old world, he didn't come as a lion. No, no. He didn't come as a lion when he was in Nazareth. He didn't come as a lion when he was on the cross. He didn't come as a lion as they stripped him and mocked him and they beat him. No, he came as a lamb, but he's coming again as a lion. You see this word lamb here? Twice in the Old Testament, the Lord Jesus is called the lamb, only twice. Once... And twice did John the Baptist call him the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God. Twice in the Old Testament. Twice in John's Gospel. Once in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 8, he's called the Lamb. Once in the Epistles in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 19, he's called the Lamb. But you see in the book of Revelation, 28 times he's called the Lamb. The Lamb. And here John gets his eyes and he turns and he looks upon the lamb, the gentle lamb, the tender lamb, the innocent lamb, the spotless lamb. I can tell you, and he stops to cry. My, there's hope that fills this man's breast. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. And next Sunday morning, I want to talk to you this morning about Jesus Christ the Lamb. And next Sunday morning, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus Christ the Lord. He's the Lamb. I tell you the greatest theme, the most noblest subject that any man or woman could be occupied with is the Lamb. You think of all the books that have been penned. Think of all the sermons have been preached. Think of all the libraries that have been filled. I tell you, whenever you and I come to the Redeemer, the Lamb of God that died for you and me, there's not one of us can fathom its depth, scale its height, Measure its length or ever be able to comprehend its significance. The artist's brush can't depict us. The poet's pen can't describe it. The scholar's intellect can't even come near it. The lamb in the midst of the throne. He's called Jesus of Nazareth. He's called the man of sorrows. We know him as a friend of sinners. He's described as the lily of the valley. He's described as the prince of peace, the lord of lords and the king of kings. But here in the midst of the throne, he's described as the Lamb of God. The Lamb. If I had one title for my message this morning, you know what it would be? Over the evangelical church in Northern Ireland, you know what the title would be? Bring back the Lamb. Bring back the lamb. Get your eyes, my dear people, this morning off the trials, off the storms, off the accusations of the enemy. Get your eyes on the lamb. Get your eyes this morning on the lamb, my dear mother. Get your eyes on the lamb, my dear brother, this morning that's by in the midst of the storm. Behold the lamb of God. I tell you, if he can take away your sin, he's bound to be able to get you through the trial. Behold the Lamb. In Genesis, the Lamb, you'll see the prophecy of the Lamb. My, I tell you, even in the very garden, whenever Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the first thing that happened, God took a Lamb, slew the Lamb. 
And my, they covered themselves with fig leaves and covered themselves with good works, but God, I tell you, provided for them. Ah, there there were coats of skins of the lamb. And he says there's coming a day when there'll be a seed of a woman that will arise and he'll crush the serpent's head. Whenever Abraham and Isaac went up Mount Moriah, the very place where the temple was going to be erected, he went up Mount Moriah and Isaac was with him. And Isaac said to Abraham, his father, Father, we've got, the, we've got the fire and we've got the wood, but where's the lamb? That's the question for the evangelical church today. Where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? I tell you, you remember what Abraham said. He said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Whenever you go through Genesis, you'll see the prophecy of the lamb. Whenever you go through the book of Leviticus, you'll see something of the beauty of the lamb. Does I can tell you, whenever you look at the offerings, whenever you think of all that the Lord Jesus has done for you and me, there's a beauty there. How beautiful is he to you? You see any beauty in them? I tell you, the Bible says he is all together lovely. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. Is there many of us here this morning can say that? Whenever you come into John's gospel and John was my baptizing in the Jordan and before the Lord Jesus ever came to him, he hadn't seen him for at least 25 years and John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus coming and he said like a double barrel shotgun, bang, bang, he says, behold, the Lamb of God, there's the identity of the Lamb. You go through the Exodus chapter 12, the Passover, there's the commentary of the Lamb. And I think there's some of you would need to read Exodus 12 again this morning. You remember when the children of Israel were down my in Egypt and they were under the bondage of the, of the Egyptians. They heard the crack of the lash. My, they were toiling and they were working the sweat of their brow just like the old days when we were not saved. My, under the tyranny and domination of the devil. And then the Lord raised up a man by the name of Moses. In Exodus chapter 12, Moses stood with Aaron. God told the children of Israel, he says, on the first month of the year, on the tenth day of the month, you'll need to get a lamb. It's the first day, first month of the year, because what are you saying? Whenever you get the lamb, you'll get a new start. I can tell you, my dear people, this morning, there would be some of us here as believers, we would need to go back to where we started. It's a good start. He says you'll get that little lamb on the tenth day of the first month, and for four days you'll watch it. Now, this little lamb meant something to these people. They most probably had a name for this little lamb. This is a pet lamb, a spotless lamb. And for four days you'll have to watch it. You'll have to scrutinize it. And my, there'll not be allowed one blemish on it. You'll have to go through every area of its body. And he said for four days you'll have to inspect the lamb. And then on the 14th day of the month, he says you'll get that little lamb. And he says you'll get a knife in your hand. 
and you'll slit his throat. Can you hear the little bleat of the lamb? This little lamb that they knew so well. And now the father would have to come with a knife and with a quick slash. The blood would flow. And they would get the blood and they would put it on a basin. And there they would come and they would have to get the blood. And my, they would take the hyssop and they would strike the lintel and the two doorposts. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Here's a wee thought for you to think about this morning. God's talking to your soul now. The death angel was sent from the presence of God. He was going to go into every home after every firstborn. But God said, he said, whenever I see the blood on the doorpost, what I'll do is I'll spread myself over your home. I'll cover your home and the death angel will not get in. And the death angel might come to your door and say, my, there's a firstborn in there. I need to get him. But you know what God could say to the death angel? That home has got the blood. You have no authority in there. And he spreads himself over the home. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I'll cover over you. The enemy will not get you. And maybe you're here this morning and you can hear the enemy and you can hear the angel, the accuser at the door. Thank God this morning for the blood. The blood. Aye, but that's not all they had to do with the lamb. No, no. They had to get that little lamb, that little innocent lamb. And my, the little boy, the firstborn, could be sent as dad, dad. The angel, the death angel's coming. How do you know I'm not going to die? Oh, son, it'll be all right. There's the blood there. You see the hyssop? The hyssop was like an old docking. There's no strength in the hyssop. Flimsy old thing. And maybe that's just like all of our faith this morning. There's not much of us have, not many of us have great faith, you know. But my dear people, God didn't say, when I see your faith, he says, when I see the blood. And they got that little flimsy bit of hyssop and they struck it on the lintel and the doorpost and they went in and they shut the door. And then they got the lamb. And they shut the door and they had to roast the lamb in the fire. And here's the lamb now. They had to enjoy the lamb. They had to feed on the lamb. My, their defeat upon its head speaks about the mind of Christ. They had the feet on the inward speaks of his devotion and his love and his humility and his obedience. They had the feet on the lamb and then they had the feet on the leg speaks of his walk and speaks of his power. When was the last time you ate on the lamb? When was the last time? They had, the Bible says, eat all of the lamb. Let none remain on the morning. And as they ate it, they had to eat it with bitter herbs and with unleavened bread. And I'm just going to stop here this morning and I'll go on next week. And whenever they were in that little home down in Egypt, they ate the lamb and then they had to eat bitter herbs. You know what the bitter herbs were? They were bitter by their, they reminded them of their bondage in Egypt. You know, there's some of God's people here and all of our days are consumed with the failure that we used to be. Oh, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. My dear people, thank God that we are sinners. But he didn't leave us there. He has made us sons 
Oh, I tell you, you're not just a sinner. Don't lower yourself. He brought you into the family of God. You see, these people down in Egypt, all they had was redemption. They were bought back because that little lamb died for them. But my dear people this morning, we have more than that. We have redemption through the blood of the lamb. We have justification through the blood. We have sanctification through the blood. We have propitiation through the blood. We have peace through the blood of his cross. Ah, and 10,000 more things. Do you see the little home now down in Egypt? And they're under the blood. The, the, the blood of the lamb is over them. And then they start to feed on the lamb, and they not only have the lamb over them, but they've got the lamb within them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And some of us, all we do is feed on the old bitter herbs. But I used to do this, and but I used to go there, and but I used to say this, and but my, I was a sinner, and but, but, but. Not, on the, not feeding on the lamb as well as the bitter herbs. But then there was something else they had to do. They had to eat it with unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread speaks of no sin. For seven days after this, there was a feast of unleavened bread. I tell you, my dear people, this morning, if you're going to feed on the lamb, you'll need to feed on the, the, the bitter herbs as well as the lamb. Remember where you were. Remember what you are. And then they had to eat the unleavened bread. Remember what you ought to be. Unleavened. The unleavened bread. I tell you, one of the saddest things about this whole story is this. In Numbers chapter 9, Moses gives them the instruction for the Passover again. They were to do it every year. They were to feed upon the lamb. They had to feed on the lamb with the staff on their hand, with their loins gird, with the shoes upon their feet, ready to move out. My dear people, we're moving out of this old world. Don't invest too much time in your business, sir. Don't put your roots down too deep because we're only pilgrims passing through. You feed on the lamb. You feed on the bitter herbs. You feed on the unleavened bread, but you feed on them ready to move out. The saddest thing about this this morning is from Numbers chapter 9 until Joshua chapter 5. 38 years. 38 years there were after they came out to celebrate the Passover lamb. And then for 38 years in the wilderness, they had a lambless religion. They never celebrated the Passover for 38 years. Oh, I'm glad that I'm out of Egypt. Glad that I'm not under the tyranny of the Egyptians. Glad, oh, I'm free this morning. But sure, what about the lamb? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And then whenever they crossed over into the promised land in Joshua chapter 5, they celebrated the Passover again. And you know what happened? They got into Canaan. The land that flows with the milk and honey. The land of the hills and the valleys. And you'll not read of the children of Israel ever celebrating the Passover again until Second Chronicles, the days of Hezekiah, 552 years. They had a lambless religion. 
They never fed upon the lamb. They never enjoyed the lamb. Oh, they had the garlics and the onions and the herbs, but they didn't have the lamb. I tell you, there's a lot of talk today about vegans and all the rest of it. I tell you, I think there's some vegan Christians about it. It's been a long time, sir, since you've fed on the lamb. Long time. Oh, you've had the garlics and I have had the herbs and we've had the unleavened bread. When was the last time we got down with the word of God and fed on the lamb? Malnutrition. I tell you here, you see in heaven, you know what the theme is going to be? The lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. For thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, out of every tongue, every nation, every people, black and white, yellow, rich and poor. Thou hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Here's a wee thought for you to think about. You see, whenever the church goes, there's going to come another lamb. Revelation chapter 13, it says there's a lamb, a man coming, and he's going to look like a lamb. There's two horns on his head. He's going to do wonders in the heavens and the earth. He's going to come with authority. He's going to be the Antichrist. He's going to be an imitation lamb, and many of the people that will be in the world will take him because they never knew the real lamb. His number is 666. Now, just look at this as we close. You look at verse 6 to we see. And he says, Behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and in the midst of the four living ones, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain. My dear sir, you need a, a lamb that has been slain. You need the blood. And he stood having seven horns, seven eyes, and seven spirits. This is not the Lamb 666. This is the Lamb 777. Perfect. No mortal can with Him compare among the sons of men. All heal the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown Him Lord of all. We sang it this morning, crown him with many crowns. The Lamb upon the throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns. All music but its own. When was the last time now you fed on the Lamb? When was it? I'm not talking about a wee daily reading now. I'm talking about the Lamb. I tell you, that's one of the reasons why so many are still in the wilderness. They have a lambless religion. Bring, bring back the lamb now. Ah, it was Robert Murray McShane. You know what he said? He said, if we as God's people are going to live and walk worthy of our high and holy calling, he said we need to, and he says I need to, live in daily consideration of the greatness of the Lamb of God. Not the trial. No, no. Not the accuser. No. Not the storm. Get your eyes this morning onto the throne. And next Sunday morning we'll find out where he was because he was in the midst.
He's never too far away. The thing about this lamb was the lamb was always there, but John didn't see him. He was so occupied with the elders. He was so occupied with the sea of glass and so occupied with the emerald rainbow. He forgot about the lamb. Have you and I forgot about the lamb? Behold, the Lamb of God taketh away the sin of the world. You read Exodus chapter 12 every day this week on your knees and bring your Bible next week and we'll see what God has to say to us. We're going to stand to our feet and we're going to sing in the hymn book. Number 50 in the hymn book, number 50. With harps and with vials there stands a great throng in the presence of Jesus, and they sing a new song unto him who has loved us and washed us from sin. Unto him be the glory forever. Amen. Then we're going to get around the table, and maybe some brother will call it a hymn, and we're going to worship the Lamb. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said in John 6? He says, Except ye eat my flesh and drink my blood, I tell you, you know what we'll be doing by faith? We'll be feeding on the Lamb as we get around this table this morning. And if you're saved and walking with the Lord, you stay with us for a feast this morning.